I suppose if you want a title for this, uh, I'm calling it Preparation for Prophesying. Uh, and I, my intention is to look at um, how we really um, develop in our own walk with God. <clears throat> But you've, I'm here today having been somewhat rescued by God because of the onslaught of whispers of the enemy. And, um, yeah. I mean, Jeff alluded to this. Thank God for the ministry that Lou ministered into my life and brought release to me even this morning. So needful that basically... There are so many times that the devil would want to shut down this kind of ministry. I've heard it said that he wants to shut down the prophet in every preacher. He doesn't mind speaking the word in general so long as we don't get anything specific. So long as we don't say anything that changes people's lives. And having said that, I do believe that just the plain text of Scripture, anointed by the Spirit, can be as fresh and as much a rhema as a prophetic word uttered, thus says the Lord. And in our prophetic school, I try and tell folk, don't say thus says the Lord. Don't say that. Anyway, I was reading the Scripture, Psalm 102, no, it's not. I'm telling you, you see, there you go. Don't believe anything I say. 106 it is, not 102. 106. Verse 24. And this is a prayer of thanksgiving for the goodness of God. But in it, it, it does mention how the people of God turned their back on him. And it says here, in verse 24... Then they despised the pleasant land, having no faith in the promise. Now I'm reading from the English Standard Version. But that's what it says in this version. They despised the pleasant land, having no faith in the promise. I wonder how many times... Glyn said that this morning, didn't he? About... um, those words that have been prophesied over your life, wherever possible, get them written down, get them on a tape, call them to mind. If they're not yet fulfilled, begin to speak them, pray them, get a trusted friend that you can discuss them with. Keep them alive by keeping them in the forefront of your mind and thinking. Yeah. And that was really challenging to me because I know that there's some in my life that I've, I've put them in a box somewhere, probably in the attic do you still have attics? Or in the cellar? I forget which. But they need bringing out and the dust blowing off and start to speak them again. And what happens is, I had myself until fairly recently, and I feel rescued today, had no faith in the promise. Because faith is something you act upon. Like the faith that all you have right at this moment that the chairs that you're sitting on will hold your weight. If you knew there was one that was dodgy, it'd be empty. Perhaps it's that one. (laughs) We do what we believe. We do what we believe. And in the book of Acts, 
Peter in this wonderful sermon, he said this, and this was the verse that was spoken to me on the day I got baptised. The man was going to preach on something else. He saw me come into the building to see my Auntie Madge baptised. Bear in mind, we were both rebels and coming from the Methodist church into this Pentecostal setting and I'd gone to see her be baptised and I never did get to see her baptised because he preached from Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 repent then and be baptised every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that's what he preached on and I, I went, when she was being baptised, I was being kitted out in the back. And these trousers that have been, honestly, that have been long on Mike. <laughs> I've got turnips about eight inches high. And they were, they were so big round the waist, there was a belt with them. And it had got the buckle and then a bit of leather at the other end. And like hessian or something in between you know the i was well past the leather because i was a bit skinnier in those days I was, it didn't matter i was being baptized but i never saw her be baptized the very reason i'd gone but i want to pick up on the next verse it says this for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off everyone whom the lord our god calls to himself when this was spoken, we were those far off. But it, we're not far off today. We have received of the Holy Ghost. Listen, the promise is for you. Believe the promise. Believe the promise. The promise is that the Holy Spirit, you shall receive the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit. And with him comes all the abilities of God. Because he is God. And so we, in our weakness, it's just an opportunity to show how great he is. Doesn't Paul say, when I am weak, then I am strong? What's he talking about? Well, he's not talking about natural ability, is he? He's talking about what God enables him to do. I want to know why it is that God even bothers with us. I was reading the book of Acts and in chapter 10 we read about a divine pincer movement. Now, I've been a Christian, a follower of Jesus for 42 years. I've never, as far as I know, had an angel turn up to me and uh, tell me something. But Cornelius, who was a good man, and I believe our towns and cities are full of people just like Cornelius. They're good-hearted people. They are people in their own way who love God but don't really know him. And they care about other people, just like this man did. He prayed and gave alms to the poor. Mm -hmm. He wasn't naturally a person of the family of God. He was a Gentile. And an angel turns up to him. Now, why didn't this angel just tell him the gospel? 
surely the angelic will better make, make a better job of it than somebody like me. And what did he say? He says, this is what you need to do. Send to Joppa for a man called Peter. And he'll tell you this stuff. <laughs> so that's what the call of the Lord sounds like. <laughs> Brilliant. I mentioned the divine pincer movement. God was positioning and getting this Gentile called Cornelius ready for an encounter. But to do it, he had to change the mindset of a devout Jew. Because he wanted to do something in that son's life that would change him forever in his view of God. And so... You've got this divine pincer movement. Peter starts preaching, and every preacher wants this to happen, that the Holy Spirit fell on the people whilst he was preaching, and they all began to speak in other tongues as they were filled with the Holy Spirit, to the extent that Peter said, who can prevent these people from being baptised in water since they have received the same gift as we have? We all want that to happen when we're preaching, don't we? <laughs> I remember Dr. Bob Lemon being asked, do you believe in the resurrection of the dead? He said, I have to do it every Sunday morning. <laughs> I want us to know today the reason that it's such a wonderful thing and it was so exciting this morning, I'm still excited about it, is that our Heavenly Father loves to involve His kids in His business. Isn't that amazing? He could do it himself a lot better. But I want to tell you, I have a son who didn't go to university. His name's Andrew. He's got a son of his own now. And he came up to Leeds when he was 16 and got an apprenticeship with Yorkshire Water. And he once said to me, Dad, we've had a burst. And I'm thinking of a 15 mil pipe in, like we have in the house. The central, his were a one foot six pipe that had burst and it had washed a whole cave under a room. Amazing. Now, he, I don't know why I'm telling you about Andrew. I did when I set out on this story. It's a senior moment, I think. <laughs> That's right. He would say of himself, he's not an educated man. And yet, he knows how to hear God. But when he was young, I think this is the point, when he was young, the age of 10, he used to service our car. The only thing I used to check, that the brakes were okay and that the wheels were on properly. <laughs> but they were. They were once a, I like, because... You know, most, most cars have alloy wheels these days, don't you? And if you over-tighten them, you can crack the alloy. So you really, if you, if you have your tyres changed, make sure they put the last little bit with a torque wrench so it don't over-tighten them. But anyway, well, that's, it's a freebie. <laughs> <laughs> but I, as a dad, 
I'm proud today to tell you that when he was 10, he could service the car. Yeah. yeah. His elder brother <laughs> is so different, he has problems with ballpoint pens. <laughs> <laughs> but he's an academic. So he starts talking about Greek, Greek and Hebrew, like they were doing this one Christmas time. And our Andrew's going, oh. Like that. oh. Is there anything wants mending, Dad? Because <laughs> we're wired differently. But I'll tell you what, our Heavenly Father, Glenn said it earlier, he was delighted this morning. But what were we doing? What, what were we involved in? We weren't involved in our business. It wasn't about our agenda. What was it about? It was doing what our Father loves his kids to do. We're about his business. Didn't Jesus say, I have to be about my father's business? And how old was he when he said that? He was about 12 or 13 in the temple. I have to be about my father's business. That's what prophecy is about. Now, let's have a look in Acts chapter 2 then a little bit. And I'm going to read a little bit from 16. Verse 16 in chapter 2 of Acts. Because we read here, of what I believe is a different but similar pincer movement. You know what I mean by a pincer movement? Something's coming from one side and something's coming from another to make contact. Okay. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Everybody say together... All flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapour of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes. The great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. Amen. Now, this context here, the first verse or two in uh, chapter 2, well the very first verse, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, and if you look up the word arrived, I think the King James already says it, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Yeah. There's even a song that sometimes we sing in our joint prayer meetings, and uh, it says we need another Pentecost. Personally, I don't think we're going to get one. I think the Pentecost is still or it's still happening. Yeah, yeah, it's still... Because it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully arrived. We are in that context of it fully arriving. We're in that movement of the Spirit. The day of the Lord, it might be 2,000 years. It says that somewhere, doesn't it? 1,000 years of one day. In Peter, is it? Somewhere around there. And we're living in this Pentecost. Now, we may not have accessed all that that means. I don't think we have. We may have dipped our toe in and thought, ooh, that's deeper than I thought. It's more far-ranging far ranging than I ever thought. And that may be true. But nevertheless, we've come in to this Pentecost. It's fully arrived. 
It's fully arrived. And the Spirit of God is continually being poured out on all flesh. That means in Airedale, in this very city of Keithley, the Spirit of God is being poured out on every person here. Every single one. Something's happening to their hearts, whether they like it or not, whether they're resistant or not. There's something going on in the spiritual realm where people's hearts are under the influence of this Holy Spirit being poured out. And in the midst of that, in the midst of that going on, something's happening to the people of God that we will connect with a living word for hearts who have been softened, ready to receive it. Some of them will not be quite as softened and may not receive it. But the point is, God is doing it and no longer am I viewing people as them and us. I think Bill Johnson refers to people as pre-believers. Don't he? Pre-believers. It's on the cards for them. I don't know if I should be using that phrase. Anyway. But, uh, <laughs> down at Nettle Hill once, Jeff, and uh, I was having a cup of tea, and my tea bag burst in the cup. But I didn't know till you get down to the bottom. And you think, where can I spit this lot? <laughs> if it had been Martin Rowe, I'd have spat in his pocket, but I didn't. Anyway. <laughs> I said to Aileen, she said, what are you doing? You, you remember Aileen Cairns? Pray for us, she's not been very well. But Aileen, I said, do you want to read in doing? <laughs> said, what are you on about? I said, do you want me to read tea leaves for you? Tip it up on a saucer and I'll... She said, what are you on about? Well, same as prophecy, isn't it? She said, you what? <laughs> <laughs> it's not the same as prophecy. <laughs> I couldn't resist I believe this is the context we've been called to the kingdom for at a time such as this with the spirit of God getting people ready you might look at some of their behaviours and think crikey they must be under a divine umbrella to resist this outpouring of the spirit but I believe it's going on and when we're sensitised to the Holy Spirit, he will guide us to the ones whose hearts are being softened, you know. And he sometimes brings them our way. But at the same time, he wants us to be prepared so that we can bring that word of life to people when the connection comes. I hope you're ready for connections because God is doing it I've never known experience like it in my 42 years of following Jesus. I've never known as many connections taking place with people. Just in the cut and thrust of ordinary life. Well, praise God. That's the context for our prophesying. I believe it's great when we prophesy in the house. In the, in the Sunday gathering or whenever you have your gatherings. In, in the um, church in the home groups or life groups or what. I don't like folk calling them home cells. I always feel a little bit hemmed in when they say that. You know, I remember once when I was teaching, 
uh, we did a, a, an in-school exam, I think, for year nine, and it was biology. And we had one of the questions was, draw a typical animal cell. And I remember getting this paper back, and it had a window with bars and a face behind it. <laughs> <laughs> that was a typical animal cell. So I don't like the home cell. I, I prefer to go a home group or a life group or something like that. But it's good to prophesy to one another. You know, I've been around a number of different churches. And I'm so thrilled at what you're doing here. Because we need a revival in this very thing. I've been in many Pentecostal churches in the last five years where they not just don't emphasize spiritual gifts, they have deliberately closed it all down. Because it's, they're going on this, what people have described, seeker-sensitive services, which means whatever you do, don't upset anybody. I've never read about the life of Jesus. He was brilliant at upsetting people. <laughs> I just love reading what he says to the Pharisees, these great religious leaders. He called them whitewashed sepulchres. Yes. Nice on the outside, but full of dead men's bones. How to make friends and influence folk. Crikey. But the common people heard him gladly, yeah. didn't they? There was a reality about him. But I find I was privileged with my brother-in-law to baptise my niece. And we were in an Elim Pentecostal church. And there were, apart from my wife, quietly speaking in tongues at one moment, there was no evidence of any spiritual gift in the place. And it was packed. And I'd waited on God because I wasn't going to let my niece get out of that pool without having a prophetic word over her life. I believe God wanted to speak into her life. Today, that girl has given her life to rehabilitating young girls who have been sex trafficked. Why? Because God's captivated her heart for those who have been terribly abused and wounded. To the extent she's got a 17-year-old, all she wanted for her 17th birthday. 17, a Barbie doll. Reasons? She'd never had a childhood. Never had it. Been abused since the age of four. So I wanted to prophesy into this girl's life. She's my niece. I love her. I believe God's got something for her. But I didn't know what to do. No evidence or anything like that. So I went to the pastor and said, Is it all right if I prophesy to my niece? And he said, It was okay. But it's as though this stuff's being lost. And we mustn't lose it because rather than being seeker-sensitive, that's implying that we know what's best for people. It's God who knows what's best for them. We heard testimony this morning, didn't we? About a word opening up a person's life to receive life from God. That's what we're engaged in. It's about the bringing of life. Amen. Yeah. Wonderful. Jesus came to give us better meetings. 
No, he didn't. He came to give us life and that we may have it abundantly. And I've been thinking about Abraham. What did Abraham have? He is the father of our faith. What did he have? He didn't even have a Torah. He had no written word to refer to. What he had was life in reference to a God he couldn't see. I think Abraham was an amazing man. No wonder God chose him. He had only life. And he came from a place, Ur of the Chaldees, which I discovered is also known as the place of burning demons. And if you'll remember about Abraham, God spoke to him and said, Abraham, and I love this about him, he said, here I am. Take now your son, your only son, and sacrifice him on one of the mountains as a burnt offering, sacrifice him on one of the mountains that I will show you. In the scriptures in Genesis, there's no evidence of any argument. Well, how's that going to work out, Lord? It says, told his servant, saddled the donkey, and off they went. And they came to this place called Moriah. When Abraham says to his servants, I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and then this great statement of faith, and we will come again to you. And you've got the first mention of the word worship. And what's it about? It's about sacrifice. And in Romans 12, what did it say? Offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Is music involved? Of course it is. Lots in the Bible about music, but sacrifice is, is what it's about. Now, he gets him up there on the altar, <coughs> and I, I'm instructed from Bible scholars that Abraham was an old man. But the lad wasn't a little boy. He was a youth. He would be in full vigor. And so he could have withstood his father, but he was a willing sacrifice. I mean, in that portion in Genesis 22, the Christ types, it's just overflowing with Jesus in there. But he gets him on, on that altar and the knife is raised, ready to plunge into his son. This is not the son of the flesh. This is the son of the spirit. This is the son of promise. And what does he do? He stays Abraham's hand. Now, I've learned this. There's something between the lines of the text that God is saying in this. He said, Abraham, I want you to know that I am nothing, nothing, nothing like those gods back in Ur of the Chaldees. I do not require child sacrifice. I don't want any blood of man. There'll only be one blood of a man that's any good to anything, and that was the blood of Jesus. But he says, I don't require human sacrifice. It's never even entered my heart and mind, another part of the scripture says. He wanted Abraham to know from his own experience and background, 
His God is nothing like those back in Ur of the Coldies. Nothing like that. He never wants anything like that. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. There's always a substitute. Isn't there? Now that's the kind of God that we are portraying. Isn't it? You know, I'm so... I mean, this message of love is so vital, so so empowering, so needful in the church. In fact, someone came to Jesus, you read about it in Matthew 22, it says, what's the greatest of all the commandments? And Jesus said, simple, love the God, Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. And he says, the second is like it, love your neighbour as yourself. And then the very, very next phrase, on these two hang all the law and the prophets. So my view is this, if you don't love that person, if you don't love that company of people, if you don't love that city, you lose the right to prophesy to them. Because if you're not in love, you're not going to carry the word from the God of love. He's nothing like those burning demons. Even if you've got a word of rebuke, and prophecy sometimes can bring a rebuke. My mother loved me, and I've got the marks to prove it. I once said something at a dinner table she didn't like, and she hit me on the head with a soup ladle, stainless steel, prestige. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, it says prestige on it, and it comes up my head. Probably see it on there as well. She hit me on the head with that, and I was 35 years old. I've got children of my own. Make no difference with my mum. <laughs> yes. Bless her. <laughs> I wonder if she's talking to the Lord and saying get him on track Lord please <laughs> sometimes well, if you read the, the scriptures those prophetic scriptures you'll discover many of them are bringing a judgment against the people of God but that is mercy when God announces he's going to judge that's mercy <coughs> Because he could just do it. I love it. You read about in Exodus where he says to Moses, come out at way now, lad. Because he was from Derbyshire. (laughs) 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 Come out of the way, Moses, because I'm going to destroy this lot. Moses, I'm going to get rid of them. I'll make you into a great nation, but I'm going to get rid of these, Moses. Hey, listen, Moses. This is... (laughs) Why was he telling Moses? Because he was looking for a man that knew and remembered the covenant. And when you see what what Moses did before God, he got between God and the people and interceded by reminding God of the covenant that he'd made with his people and saying, if you do this, they'll say you brought them out, but you can't bring them in to your promise. Don't do them. Don't do this to them. And God listened to him. And I hear so many people these days in this prophetic realm, and what are they saying? That, that tsunami, that's the judgment of God against all them people doing all that immoral stuff. Some of my brothers and sisters were amongst that lot. Come on. When he tells you stuff about a disaster... What's he telling us for? 
Sometimes he's telling us that we might get on our faces and plead with him for mercy and pray that it may not be as bad. He's nothing like those burning demons. He isn't like that. That's what he was conveying to Moses when he got his very best son, the son of promise. Yeah, you thought I was like that? I'm not. There's a substitute. We have a substitute. That's why I don't like being called vicar. Because vicar means substitute. Well, Jesus' death is vicarious. It's substitutional. So a vicar... Listen, I'm nobody's substitute. I'm not a vicar. In fact, no, you're not. I didn't like playing number 12 when I played football. Because <laughs> you sit on the bench, don't you? And we had a policy in my day that if you never change a winning team. And so I got injured... And so I had two or three weeks when I was on the bench. I'd recovered from my injury, and I'm sitting there on the bench praying that someone would get injured. <laughs> Not seriously, Lord, just enough so I can get back on. <laughs> but somebody did. And so I could go and play again, you see. They, they soon recovered. <laughs> Certainly not. <laughs> Let's just have a look in Numbers, please. Um, Numbers. That's Old Testament, isn't it? Uh, Numbers 23. God is after our hearts, you know, to be conformed to his. Yeah. (laughs) I'm discovering this about the Lord. He likes us to enjoy him. He likes us... It blesses him when we enjoy him. When we enjoy being together. On Fridays, for the last few years, my wife and I have had a day off. It's not set in stone, it doesn't always happen, but on a Friday, we try and go out together. And I'm learning, as a man, it's okay to go to Meadowhall. (laughs) <laughs> every time we go up those escalators I feel a pain in my wallet it was much better when it were a steelworks I'll tell you much better but we have discovered we've been married you see this ring that's our gift to one another 25 years We've been married. We've been manacled together. (laughs) Some of you all know that she was God's rescue package for my life. I thought my life was over. My first wife died in my arms. She was only 32. And we had three children, one of whom was only six months old. And that six-month-old little girl, on Boxing Day is due to give birth to her first child. That's great, isn't it? (laughs) So that'll be another little boy. Wonderful. Anyway, we've been married 25 years. And so we didn't know what to do. Shall we go away, you know, on a cruise to Doncaster? uh, (laughs) We decided not to. Um, What we decided to do... We'd have these 
silver ring. They're not made from silver because silver tarnishes, doesn't it? It's actually palladium. Yeah. Um, she did mention platinum, but I quickly coaxed her out of that. <laughs> I said, well, well, you can, but it'll take a while to sell the house. That, you know, it's expensive. Anyway, we got this, and on that morning, we actually wed on the 6th of April. And so on the morning of the 6th of April, she woke up and said, wake up. I said, what, what? She said, it's our wedding anniversary. I said, I know, I know. She said, well, let's, let's put rings on. I said, okay, so she got the box, and she put both of them in one box. Oh, that's nice, isn't it? And she put it on her finger. She said, look at that. Put yours on. Put it. I couldn't get it on. <laughs> so I had ten minutes with my hand under cold tap. And then I got all this. She got this. You ladies have got all sorts of different cream. Well, I call it lard. I put some of this lard on my hand to get this on my finger. <laughs> And now I can't get it off. <laughs> yeah. I said, it's tight. My lips, lips are going blue. That's how it is. Tight. The, the point of this is I enjoy being with her. Even, what, after 25 years? Especially after 25 years. She is an amazing woman. And if I said, well, I want you to come up to Keithley with me and just give a prophetic word... She'd got colour of this wall. She said, I don't think I've ever prophesied. And I laughed at her. I said, you don't listen to yourself. Pray for people, do you? That's what you mean. I said, when you pray, woman, it's prophecy nearly all the time. Mm -hmm. Really? I said, yeah. You think just because you're saying, you've not, you've not said, God is saying this to you, you've counted it as rubbish. No. Right. You're prophetic in your own right. Yeah. And it comes out in that sort of way. But my point is, I'm excited about being with her. She keeps me on my toes. She corrects me often, particularly when I get shirty with people. Which I do more than I should. Because it's my nature. My mother was very fiery. Pa apparently my... Grandfather said to my dad, don't check her, she'll go up like a bottle of pop. <laughs> His only other bit of advice was she'll make a good gaffer. <laughs> Both were true. And I, I said to, God has delivered me. I've had some deliverance on this, really. But I had a very, very fiery temper. And it's in the wisdom of God I was not made as, as, as tall as you, sir, because I could have done some real damage if I'd have been as big as you. So God made me little to temper things a bit. But... God has rescued me out of that because he wants to go in a different direction. So I did say Numbers 23. It's important that we enjoy the Lord. The more we enjoy him, the more we'll enjoy his stuff. And his ways of doing things. And it says here, in uh, Numbers 23... Verse 1. And it's about a prophet called Balaam. Who we all know was a false prophet. Mm -hmm. But he wasn't false because his word was inaccurate. Right. His word was absolutely yeah. spot on. Yeah. He was false because his heart yeah. was not right. 
His heart was not particularly for the purposes of God. His heart was for his own gain. And sometimes when we go on this prophetic journey, watch out because it has the capacity to puff you up. Give a word of knowledge and it's absolutely spot on and accurate. And you do it the next time and it's spot on and really accurate. Folks' lives have changed. And we can get a little bit, oh, this feels good. Be careful about that. This guy got into trouble. But he says this. <clears throat> Balaam said to Balak, Balak was the guy that was hiring him to curse Israel. Build me here seven altars and prepare... Prepare me here seven bulls and seven rams. Balak did as Balaam had said, and Balak and Balaam offered on each altar a bull and a ram. And Balak said, Balaam said to Balak, Stand beside your burnt offering and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me, and whatever he shows me I will tell you. And he went to a bare height, and God met Balaam. And Balaam said to him, I've arranged the seven altars, and I've offered a, on each altar a bull and a ram. And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. And he returned to him, and behold, he and all the princes of Moab were standing beside his burnt offering. And Balaam took up his discourse. We'll not, we'll not read what he said. But the thing is this. Even this false prophet knew the importance of worship. And one of the things about loving God and receiving the love of God is that we will worship. Worship is very important to us. Now, you just think about your Sunday gatherings when a prophetic word comes. I bet it comes more often when the praise and worship's going on than when the preacher's preaching. That's not accidental. What does worship do? It changes the atmosphere. We've even known it in the streets, if we're doing a street outreach, we'll get a couple of teams to go around the town and just go in a particular place, and all they'll do is worship God in song. And it changes the atmosphere. And what he did, so for, for this guy Balaam, who was a false prophet, because his heart was not right before God, he still exhibited some principles that will help us. First of all, he gave himself to worship. And then he waited. Oh, doesn't it kill us waiting? I'd just come back from my first trip to Zimbabwe. And I was in the post office. And there was a lady in front, well, there were quite a few in front of me. And then some behind. And this lady in front was talking to the one behind me. Saying, these queues, they're terrible. You'll come in here, I have to wait all this time. And I said, excuse me, I can only hear your conversation. I was right in between it. <laughs> I said, you'll forgive me for saying, but this isn't a queue. Yeah. I said, I've just returned from Zimbabwe, and I've seen people queue six and seven deep, not just round a, a building, not just round a block of streets, but round a, a town, mm-hmm. waiting for a shop to open. Yeah. This isn't a queue. We need to learn to wait. That's not twiddling your thumbs. Mm -hmm. To wait means an expectancy. We're coming to hear. We worship him. It's a life of worship. It's not just a worship time. This is a devoted heart to God. 
Whether he does anything for me or not, I'm going to worship him. He's worthy of praise. He's worthy of glory. You know, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. That's how we approach God. You know, I don't like these prayer meetings when the first thing they do is help you get out of the shopping list. Now, Lord, we want this, that, and the other. This is what we need. And this folk needs healing and all of that. And we need a breakthrough in there. And can I have a Mercedes Benz and all of this on the list? How about we forget that for a minute or two, or for the whole day, and just honour him and worship him and wait with an expectant heart? Because that's what Balaam did. And what did Balaam? He put his word in Balaam's mouth. So that the very thing his evil heart wanted to do, the word of the Lord in the mouth of the prophet brought blessing to the people of God. Isn't that interesting? That even with a rankled old heart like he had, God can still speak through him actually the truth. Let's go to Amos chapter 3. In Amos, this is an interesting passage because Amos had no pedigree for any prophetic stuff. He wasn't in any family that had any prophetic things going on, but God chose him. Anybody here, the chosen of the Lord? I think we all are, aren't we? But my dad wasn't a prophet. I'll just, I'll just imagine God saying, and your point is? Yeah. What point do you want to make about that? I've called you. I'm your father. Yeah. We've all got the same dad. Yeah. In this room today, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. As we came into Christ Jesus, we didn't just get a new destiny, we got a new history. Yeah. We got tapped into Abraham and, all, and Moses and all these others, great yeah. patriarchs that have gone before. King David. Yeah. They're all in our history. Wow. <laughs> Have you found it? It's one of them clean pages in your Bible. <laughs> <laughs> like Haynes manuals, aren't they? Anybody do car repairs? Yeah. Like, <laughs> tell what's been up with a car because they're all dirty pages, aren't they? You're like brakes, they're all black. <laughs> Air conditioning, no, I'll leave that alone. <laughs> okay. Chapter 3. Verse 7, for the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servant, the prophets. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? That's Amos 3, verses 7 and 8. This father of ours loves us to such a degree he has decided he's not going to do anything without us being in his confidence. That's what he wants. He wants us to know what he's up to. Moses prayed, did he not? Lord, let me know your ways that I may know you. Yeah. And what we know that happened because in Psalm 103 it says he revealed his ways to Moses. Yeah. 
and his acts for the children of Israel. Now, as prophetic people, God wants us to know his ways. Not just what he does, but why he does it. His way of thinking, his way of ministering. He wants us involved in that. In other words, this stuff's on a need-to-know basis, and God needs us to know. That's good, isn't it? He needs us to know. Praise God. Now in Jeremiah 23, I just want to, I suppose really what I'm after today in, in terms of preparation for prophesying, it's learning to cultivate that intimacy with the Lord. Because I believe with all my heart, God wants us to be able to perceive his word, whether that's in vision or dream or whether it's something we have an impression in our hearts or a sign that we see somewhere. He wants us to be able to access that at any moment of any day. But if we give ourselves to deliberately spending time with him, then he will reveal to us how he speaks to us in that quiet place, so that when it happens elsewhere, we're used to it, and we know what his voice sounds like. And one of the things that the whole church needs to repent of today, right now, is saying we can't hear God. Because Jesus in John 10 says, My sheep hear my voice. It's the one thing about the sheep is that they recognise the shepherd's voice. So rather than saying that, saying, I can hear, but I need a bit of help. Right. Say that instead. I can hear, but I'm, I could do with a bit more clarity, Lord. Help me. And in that hearing, help me to see. In that seeing, help me to perceive. Right. Yeah. But stop saying you can't, because Jesus has already declared we can. Right. In Jeremiah 23. Now, it's interesting. I've mentioned Balaam, the false prophet. And now I'm going to talk about a prophecy of Jeremiah's against the false prophets. And it says here in verse 18, well, I'll read it from verse 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and hear his word, or who has paid attention to his word and listened? Drop down to 22. But if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to my people, and they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. Now, interestingly, that word counsel means a company of persons in close deliberation with the implication of intimacy (coughs) and the disclosure of secrets. The false prophets had not been there. But you can sense in the heart of God, can you not? That's where he wants us. That's where he wants us. He wants us to be in that 
counsel of the Lord. That place, it's as though the Godhead are discussing things amongst themselves. And those, what Father wants is all his children. Come on. Those who really want this prophetic stuff, come on. Come and listen to what's going on here. I wonder if sometimes he'll say, what do you think in this? You see, in Zechariah, when Joshua is presented the high priest and he's dressed in filthy clothes and they reclothed him. But it was Zechariah who said, put a clean turban on his head. And they did so. The Lord was saying the rest, but Zechariah said that. And they did it. And that's the beckoning. I feel as though I have no right to tell you any of this. I feel such a little boy as a beginner. But I don't know what... Does anybody here speak French? Uh, You know, fluently. What is the phrase, Elaine, that means with the eating comes the appetite? No, I didn't. And I don't speak French. I didn't know in German either. That was a joke, never mind. I've got lots of others like that. We've tasted, Jeff. Yeah. We've heard testimony today. Some of you have got testimony, things that happened to you. God used you in the prophetic realm, words of knowledge and different things. And pre- you, We're not at ground zero. Yeah. If we're to draw a graph, they're the, they're the axes. Yeah? We're not there. We're somewhere on the graph. Aren't we? Praise God. We're on the graph. We've actually taken off in this journey. Talk about mixed metaphors. (laughs) We've taken off. We're on this. But mm, we've we've tasted. Whoa. Oh, that lamb vindaloo. It was good. (laughs) Yeah, it was good the following day too. Mm, Oh, yeah. I like that again. Well, the first part, anyway. <laughs> there's, there's something that... In God, we've, we've experienced something in God, and it's so sweet, so great. Yeah. We're after something else. Yeah. We're after to go... And what Paul, at the end of his life, and he, he talks about his CV, doesn't he, according to the flesh and according to the law. And he says, I count it but rubbish, dung. To the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And what, what did he say? This is Paul in Philippians 3. I want to know him. I read that one time. I thought, well, Paul, if you don't know him, there's not much hope for me. But the word means I want to go on to know him. He wasn't saying he didn't know Christ. He said, I've, I've had some experience and that's been far better than all my CV according to the law. And he was, according to the law, he was great. But he says, that's nothing compared to him. And I want to go on. I want to know him. I must know him. And God wants that attitude with us all. He wants to have us in that council. He wants for us to receive those secrets. You see, when Glenn was talking about speaking to someone, and he said, was it 31st of March? And she said, March, nothing. No. 
But as the conversation went, she said, well, actually, it's the day my best friend died. <coughs> what happened? In that moment, he was in the council. In the spiritual realm, he was yeah, in the yeah, council. Yeah. And in the council, he heard 31st of March. Mm-hmm. And what was it? It was a door opener for that woman to receive life. Yeah. A release from that which had crippled her life for so long. And that's the realm we're talking about. Wonderful. Okay. Abraham was the friend of God. Wow. And in John 15, verse 15, Jesus said to his disciples, I call you servants no longer. Now... I'm calling you friends. And then he defined what friendship was. Because everything I've received from my father, I've declared to you, I've made known to you. We're his friends. So the reason prophecy is so poignant, so powerful, is because our God, who is our father, is also our friend. You know, in our friendship, there have been things that have taken place that had our friendship not been secure in God and with one another could have separated us. But we're not spoken about this. But I know we've taken a decision, we're friends. Regardless of what anything else happens, we have a connection in God that we enjoy. And that other stuff's not to do with me. And my stuff's not to do with him. Because if we dwelt on it, it would do that. And I'm not having that. Because I value this. Friendship is very important. You see, Lou and I, in that thing that you do for me, that's made a connection. Apart from we're both anglers. I discovered that this week. One-armed angler, are we? Caught one that big. I'm wasting my time this side. Don't want that thing. Not much better there, Jeff, I'll tell you. <laughs> but there's been a connection there. And that's important. And Jesus said, you're my friends. But I've got all this stuff going on in my life, Lord. You think I don't know? I'm your friend. You're my friend. You're friends of the Lord. And the definition he put on friendship is not being pally-pally with one another. It's that everything he's received from his Father yeah. is making known to us. Yeah. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. And I think one of the great key things, and I'm so thrilled with what you're laboring, and this foundation of love, it's so important that if you want to have a prophetic word for somebody in particular, whether that comes out as a word of knowledge, a, a word of wisdom, or however it comes... If you set your love on them, if you genuinely love them, you're doing exactly what a father does. And he's likely to give you something for them because he, with his heart of love and yours with your love, are combining to bring life. Praise God. He spoke with Moses as a man speaks with his friend. 
face to face in that tent of meeting. And I know you can say it's Old Testament and we don't need to do all that. Well, I, no, I think it's there for a purpose. And I think we discard the Old Testament at our cost. We're living in the new, amen, but it has so much to teach us about how these old guys, these these saints of God, how they live. And Moses valued the presence of the Lord so much, he went outside the camp, and it was far outside, the scripture says, to the tent of meeting and met with God. And everybody else was out there waiting. They were waiting to know what God said. I wonder with this outpouring of the Spirit that's continuing right across the world, I wonder how many, without knowing it in their brains, are actually worth waiting for someone to tell them what God has said. Moses was a deliverer, wasn't he? Don't you think that's what the church has to do? How do we do it? We bring God's Word into the context of people's lives. Now sometimes that might be to a community. In terms of prophesying, there are some who are called to prophesy to nations. I, I don't do it every day, but a regular prayer of mine is our government, whoever they may be, will have prophets raised up who can speak the word of the Lord into them. Because all through the Old Testament, what have you got? You've got the king and the prophet. I mean, those kings of Israel didn't really enjoy it much, did they? When the prophet had something to say. But some of the kings of Judah did listen. And when they listened and implemented what the prophet says, what happened? Blessing came to the nation. Some will prophesy into a congregation. Some will be used one-on-one. But you will become more proficient by practice, that's what we're hearing this morning, but also by making it your habit to fit into your day somewhere when you can go to your tent of meeting and be with him. Just him. Now, I've got a friend, his name's Graham James. Um, can I borrow your right arm, please? Thank you. When I meet him, I shake his hand and I do this. And the reason I do that is because Graham James is a great bass player and I'm just learning. <laughs> and I'm hoping the anointing will go on. And one day I did it, and I've done it a few times, and he pulled me away like that. It took me a long time to get that. <laughs> But Graham doesn't like late night church meetings. You're not staying, Graham? No, I've got an appointment with my father tomorrow morning. Before work, he gets in his conservatory and he says, uh, there are three things that always go there. Me and the Lord and a mug of tea. I said, well, not your Bible. He said, well, sometimes, but always the cup of tea. (laughs) And he said, sometimes I discern him, and sometimes I don't. But my job is to turn up. And I remembered a scripture. 
I think it's in James where it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And I reckon if we take a step, he takes a step. If we take another one, he takes another one. And sooner or later, all we've got to do is keep turning up and we've got an encounter. But he told me this. He's got an old uh, BSA motorbike. And he likes to go out up onto the tops in Derbyshire on his bike. And he went up, got up five in the morning, and he's out. It's a beautiful sunlit day. And he's just up on the tops on his bike. And he stopped, still got his crash helmet on. And he said, Lord, I mean, Mike, we were talking about this just a few moments ago. Your creation is just absolutely amazing. Everything that man makes all looks the same, but you, so creative. And he's worshipping God, just looking at the creation, living out what <coughs> Romans 1 tells us, that the greatness of God is seen in the creation, so men are without excuse. And all of a sudden, in his helmet, there's a voice singing. Now, it's not one, it isn't one of these under gold wings where it's got its own, you know, hi-fi system as they plug in. No, it's an old bike. You know, it's, a, it's even got a kickstart, for goodness, goodness sake. It cracks me up every time I think about this. And this is what he heard in his helmet. I only have eyes for you. <laughs> and he's looking around. It's that refrain. I only have eyes for you. He took his helmet off and it's no music. So he's blessing God for this creation and God in his father heart returning this and saying, my eyes are for you, son. So he put the helmet back, and it's there again. I only have eyes for you. And he rode all the way home, about five miles. I only have eyes for you. I mean, he's telling us this at a prayer meeting. I'm sobbing while he's telling me this. But that's the intimacy that is available to us. And I'm honest with you, folks. I don't access that as often as I need to. But as I was preparing this, I've got some other stuff to tell you today. But I just felt in my time, the Lord says, I want you to talk about this. Not for their sake, primarily, but for yours. Because I want you to know my voice when you're in Tesco's. Or when you're in Asda. Or when you're getting tyres for your car. Or when you're in college. Or wherever you might be. I want you to you'll be able to know my voice. And be able to respond accordingly. But I only have eyes for you. What a thing. And then, of course, that's paralleled, isn't it, in Zephaniah. The only bit of Zephaniah any Christian ever knows. You know, he rejoices over you with singing. The greatest prophet that has ever been was the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, Ephesians 4, 11. All those ministry gifts, primarily, what's it for? 
It's to bring the church into full maturity, yeah. to the full, the fullness of the stature of the Christ. Yeah. Jesus is all of those That's in right. fullness. Yeah. And now we're his body. There's only one body of Christ, isn't there? And we are collectively the Son of God in the earth. Yeah. Yeah. And so he wants us to live in this realm. But notice something about Jesus. He was the prophet beyond all the others. But he only said what he heard his father say. And he only did what he saw his father doing. So his whole life, from beginning to end on earth, was prophecy. And so, I would... And I'm so glad we heard this prophetic teaching from an evangelist today. Because that opening scripture I read from the book of Acts, it says, does it not, that in the context of the Spirit of God being poured on all flesh, sons and daughters, well, prophesy. And right at the end, into that context, whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Bryn Jones used to say, I'm so glad it did not say, whoever shall pray. He said, they didn't know how to pray. Yeah. But back there, where he lived, in the in that little village, I was going to say, it was Aberdeer, wasn't it, where Bryn was from, Bryn and, Ke- Bryn and Kerry. There were a load of houses one side of the street, all terraced, terraced houses and a pub on the other side. <laughs> and as children, <coughs> they used to say, are you going up the park tonight? says as a kid I knew how to call I knew how to call didn't have to pray but I knew how to call and it says whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord oh I wish my Susan had been here this morning because I don't think she's properly saved she didn't pray a sinner's prayer I said why not she says not in the Bible which it isn't I don't see Jesus doing altar calls do you no he was just prophetic amongst people. Yeah. And you can always tell when somebody's on the ball with this stuff. Little kids come. And he, they swarmed round him. And I don't know little children yet that come round grumpy folk. <laughs> but they came round Jesus, didn't they? Because he got life in him and his word. John 6. 63, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. That's the realm which we're called to. Every time you speak a word of encouragement, what's that? Spirit life. Every time you bring a word of consolation to someone that's hurting, what's that? Spirit life. Every time you bring a correction to someone in love, what's that? Spirit life. Why? Because it's the same stuff that Jesus ministers. And we're his body. I would contend that God's only ever had one son. Read about it in Exodus. When Moses gets sent to Pharaoh and say this to Pharaoh, let my son go, is the original. And then the son is a people. 
Israel is my firstborn son. Let my son go. And now we're part of the son. But I would say that Jesus, he only did what he saw Father doing. He only said what he saw, heard Father saying. But then, they'd have a time. Folk had got saved. Lepers had got cleansed. People were delivered from demons. And his disciples were reveling in it. Where's he gone? And he went to the lonely place, didn't he? The secret place. Yeah. Why? He wanted to hear again from his father. He wanted to perceive again through his father. He wanted to interact with his father. If it was true for Jesus, I would suggest it's quite important for us. Not it's, it's not the only thing. God can speak to you at any time. But what it will do is sensitize us yeah. to him. And in these days, I believe opportunities are coming our way. I mean, down our way, they'd call it shed loads. I don't know what that means, really. Because we, we, we did have a shed. My wife found it. She did a bit of gardening, and she said, Hey, Ma, I found the shed. <laughs> it's a bit overgrown, you see. But she, she found the shed. But opportunities are coming our way, and it's going to speed up, you know. As you see, things like Syria, you've got to pray for them. That's just heavenly. And other things like that, the rise of ISIS and all of this. Why are we surprised? I mean, we're shocked because of the terrible nature of it. But we shouldn't be surprised. Jesus said these days have come. But I'm... I'm very encouraged by Isaiah 60, which says, Arise and shine, for your light's come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. And he says, Behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But in the midst of it, the light shines on you. It's an opportunity for us to rise up with that prophetic voice. But if we're prepared by giving him time, and it might mean quite a drastic change in our day-to-day just to give him time. And let me say this, don't start with an hour. Try ten minutes and see how you get on with that. Because, you know, I read these books and somebody's had three hours before breakfast with the Lord every morning. Hallelujah, good. That's good. And I tried it. (laughs) And it didn't quite work for me. And if you read Adrian Plass, he decided he was going to stay up all night or late at night. And his son said to him, it sounds like you're speaking in tongues. It sounds a lot like Albanian. You were watching this Albanian film on telly. And stay awake. Be sensible. And if you're not doing anything like that, or try it twice a week to begin with. But just give him something. And if you will give him something, he always returns more than you can give him. There's no man's debtor. But what you will do is prepare yourselves for prophesying. And I tell you what, the more you do it, your measure will grow. Be faithful in the measure you have, but as you do it, your measure will grow. 
Let's have a five-minute break. I don't know if I've... Well, I'll just tell you Derek Brown's testimony. Derek Brown, some years ago, came... He's an apostle. He came amongst us down at Nettle Hill some years ago. And he told us this story about he prepared to preach one morning in his own congregation. And the Lord said to him, when he was just about to preach, he said, I don't want you to preach any of that. That's for another time. What I want you to do is say to the first person on the front row, when I say so... I want you to start to prophesy. And then you, 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 and then you. And they went right around the congregation, and you could see half of them going colour draining from them. I mean, that's it. So when I say do that, you make a start. And so they began. He didn't give any details of what was said. But it got to about two and a half rows back, and somebody near the back ran out. And so Derek said, continue. And he went out and found this man on all fours in a side room, like one we've got here, crying his eyes out. He said, what's wrong? What on earth's wrong? He said, well, I knew when it got to me, I'd be found out. I won't be able to do any of that. He said, well, do you not know Jesus? He said, no. He said, do you want to? Oh, yeah. So I led him to the Lord. Yeah. Two minutes later, he's filled with all the ghosts speaking in other tongues. Yeah. <laughs> and Derek suddenly remembered in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, if you're all gathered and speak in tongues, everybody speak in tongues, an unschooled person or unbeliever comes in and think you're mad. But if you're all prophesied, will not the secrets of his heart be laid bare and he declares, surely God is amongst you. And, and this man he got saved and he said my wife's going to kill me now when I get home and he ran the pub and he went back to the pub and he asked Derek if he'd go with him for a bit of moral support I think and he got to this pub and he said um, love uh, I've something to tell you so she just staring at him and uh, he said, I was in this man's church here. And anyway, at this about 12 o'clock, I was just overcome and I asked Jesus into my life. And he's coming to me and made such a difference. And I started speaking in a strange language. And she took him by the hand and took him into the snug. You know those little rooms? Yeah. Somebody once told me about them. But anyway, <laughs> went into the snug. And she said, just there, in that seat, I sat down. I've been doing a bit of dusting. <coughs> I sat down there, and at 12 o'clock, I started speaking in another language. And his wife was all saved at the same time. And he packed in rubbing. That's not the end of the story. He packed in rubbing in a pub, and he worked in a printer's. So when Derek knew that, he, all the printing that the church had, them, Derek run at this printer's. <laughs> And Derek, every time Derek walked into his shop, this bloke would fall over in the spirit. So what he had to do, he'd ring up first. He said, look, I'm about to come down with them in ten minutes. So when he came, this bloke were holding on to eternity like this. <laughs> One last story, just to encourage you. Sometimes some of you are withheld because that which you feel you've got doesn't make a bit of sense to you. It seems nonsense. And the reason for that is it isn't for you. 
So you won't make sense of it. Yeah, I mean, you may, but you're not necessarily make sense of it. Now, I believe this story was passed on to me, and uh, there's a chap who does minister quite a lot in the Word of Knowledge called Amos Garden. Some of you may have met him. Uh, from Norway. And a chap, uh, he's there, do not preach much. His, his real joy is to be invited to somebody's home. And what they will do, he'll, they'll just chat, and he'll, st- he'll start to speak words of knowledge into their life. And often they come to Christ that way. He was in this Sunday gathering, and he looked at a certain woman he'd not seen before in the congregation. And as he looked at her, in the spirit he saw half a coat hanger. And the Lord said, go and tell her. So he went to this woman, and he said, uh, excuse me, my name's Alice John. The Lord's just shown me a picture of you, and uh, half a coat hanger. And she looked very stern towards him, and he said, and Jesus said he's got the other half. At which point, she screamed and ran out in tears. So he said, this is going well, Lord. (laughs) And another woman went and followed her out. Now, the second woman was her sister and a member of the church. And it transpired that on the way to the meeting, the first woman had said to her sister, it's all right for you. You've got your nice family and husband, good jobs, you've got a nice house, Good car that we're travelling in today. Nice church and all your church friends. My life's falling about. It's like a suit hanging on half a coat hanger. <laughs> She'd said it in the car. Anyway, Anna went out and led her to the Lord in the car park. <laughs> but it didn't make a bit of sense to him. But because of his times with the Lord and learning the voice of the Lord, the impressions of the Lord, and they all come to us in different ways, don't they? Some of you might be more visually receptive. Some of you might be more audibly receptive. Don't, don't compare with one another. If you're receiving mainly in one way, why not ask for some others as well? But he recognised that and so trusted what was coming rather than his feelings that this makes no sense. Now, I've done that on a number of occasions and it's been no sense to the person that I've told either. <laughs> because sometimes we make mistakes. But I've decided this, I'm not going to let any mistakes on my part shut me down. Because I'll tell you what, this morning, I reckon it was, I didn't hear anybody saying that was wrong. It was all, it seemed all absolutely on. Did it not? All it, wasn't difficult to get testimonies about what had happened, was it? And so, I believe, there'll be more right than wrong. But when we've made a mistake, say, I'm ever so sorry, please forgive me, I got that wrong. Just discount it. And um, you can even pray for the person, if it is for one person, say, look, Lord, just remove this from their thinking now, and from their heart, and if it's caused them any pain, we just want you to heal the pain and, and admit you were wrong. But you know, sometimes these prophecies take a while. Some of that stuff Isaiah prophesied didn't happen in his lifetime. So sometimes it's far-reaching. Father, we give you thanks. And um, Lord, we're so blessed that you could do all this without us. 
And yet, because you love your children so much, and you've caused us to be able to engage with those others who are your children but don't yet know it, have not yet come into that place of faith, we thank you that you decide to use us. So, Father, we pray that you'll help us in whatever way is helpful to us and our own personalities to at least set aside a little bit of time that we might learn your voice more accurately in whatever way is best for you and I to communicate. And, Lord, we just want to ask you to bless the endeavours of this prophetic school. We pray, Father, that people in this area will be enriched, the church will grow, that, Father... People will be set free from all sorts of bondages and that your word would do what it says on the tin. It'll bring life. Amen. 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 Just one last thing. One last thing. (laughs) That's the definition of optimism, isn't it? When a woman slips her shoes back on when the preacher says, and finally. (laughs) God is so ordained it that he works with us and through us that the word to Jeremiah was this, you have seen well for I am watching over my word to perform it so when you get the word of the Lord, if you will proclaim that, sooner or later it'll happen it has to happen, he's promised that he will perform his word he doesn't promise to perform my word but he does perform his. Thank you.